Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening, come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to week six of Haggai. And we'll do a quick review of several of the slides that we've looked at so far. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Haggai. And I'll talk for probably about five minutes, and that should give you time to find Haggai. Uh, After six weeks, hopefully we've cut the time to find Haggai down from ten minutes to five minutes. That would be... A good thing. So uh, how we pronounce the word, it's actually Haggai, it's not Haggai, we talked about that week one, uh, where it is in Israeli history, so this is post-exilic, so you start with the kings, uh, Saul, David, Solomon, kingdom is divided, northern kingdom gets taken off into uh, Assyria, southern kingdom gets taken into captivity after several hundred years, they come back from captivity, <coughs> then comes Haggai onto the scene. So Haggai is a prophet. And prophets are mouthpieces. Um, I love this uh, analogy. And also the, someone who sees the check engine light and sees that there's a problem. We've got to come back to the law. There's an issue. So they call the people back to the law. Uh, talking about the messages that were given, there's immediate fulfillment and then future fulfillment. So a lot of what Haggai talks about is very specific immediate fulfillment, but there's also waves of future fulfillment that we, we think some has happened, but we know not all of it has happened. Uh, my friend Terry Brown, who teaches at the Society Daisy campus, likes to use the pictures of mountaintops. So the, the prophet stands here, and he's looking out over the future, and the message that he is delivering he knows is applicable right here for the folks right in front of him. But it may also have waves of future fulfillment, and we'll see that today as we go through today's text. Uh, where it takes place geographically, what takes place in Jerusalem. So the northern kingdom is taken off into Nineveh with the Assyrians. Uh, Babylonians come and take the remaining southern kingdom. When they come back from the exile, they go back to Jerusalem. So this is about 520 B.C. uh, at the peak of the Persian Empire. So we've looked at several different times how God is completely comfortable taking world empires and flipping them upside down, setting them to the side just to make sure his people are exactly where they're supposed to be at the right time. So the Assyrians rose to power. They were conquered by the Babylonians. They were conquered by the Persians. And that's where Haggai occurs, right at the peak of the power of the Persian Empire. So what does Haggai say? So let's start with Haggai 1.1. We'll read through, and then we'll talk about today's text, which are the last few verses of the book. And that's as fast as I can do a whirlwind tour of getting you ready to read the book of Haggai. So here we go. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? 
Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins. And while every one of you runs to his own house, but therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of all the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord, their, their hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. On the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? And the priests answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. And Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, and there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, and there were but twenty, I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward on the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet yielded fruit. But from this day I will bless you. And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the twenty-fourth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne 
of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. And if you ever wanted a positive note to end a book on, it doesn't get much more positive than that. But the Lord God of hosts saying, I have chosen you. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So what is Haggai about? Well, Haggai is about four prophecies. There's one in the first chapter and three in the second chapter. And today we're going to look at the very fourth one. And it happens on the same day that the third one happens. Haggai's about prioritization because when they came back from being in captivity for 70 years, they let the temple of the Lord sit in ruin. And that was not what God had in mind. He did not have in mind for his house to sit in ruin. Haggai's about a little bit of cheerleading because Haggai's about the most positive prophet you're going to get in the Old Testament uh, because he really doesn't rain fire and brimstone down on anybody's head. He doesn't curse anybody into captivity. He doesn't threaten uh, decades or hundreds of years of uh, pain and slavery. It is pretty much get to work, and when you do, I will cheerlead you on. And it's about a future hope, because we are always in Christianity looking forward. So if you want to put all this together, this is my crazy busy eye chart. Um, <clears throat> so this is a kind of a more expanded version of the one that I showed you a while ago. So here's the kingdoms. You got the northern kingdom. You got the southern kingdom. Here's a 70-year captivity. And you kind of see all these different things that are happening in the world. And God has done this from the history of creation until this moment today. He knows exactly what is going on in every place at all time. Uh, and so I'm a mathematician. I cannot fathom keeping this many variables straight at one given time. Uh, there, there's a principle in physics that says you can't know where something is at a very specific time. Because if you, if you can see it, then the light you're using to see it is moving it. And if you know exactly when it is, then you can't know exactly where it is. But God is outside of that because he created physics too on day one. And he understands all of creation. He knows where every molecule of every, everything is at any given time. So this level of complexity was not too hard for him. He dropped these prophets into history exactly when they were supposed to happen. How many times did we read in Haggai on this month, on this day, was exactly the time that God had the message for them. And I, I have been utterly blown away with the complexity level of something like Haggai. And it's just two chapters, right? Right? I mean, literally, you can, if you, you've, most of your Bibles, if you flip one more page over, you've completely missed the entire book. It's that small, but there's that much going on. So I don't have time to do that next little spot on your handout, the review of prior applications and personalizations. I will do that tonight at Saudi Daisy. Uh, but I want to jump into... Um, today's text. And this is Haggai 2, verses 20 through 23. So let's look at Haggai 2, verses 20 through 23. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai. So again, can you circle the word again on your handout or in your Bible? I think it is really, really, I don't ask you to do this very often, but I think it is a really important word. So I'll ask you a question. Um, feel free to raise your hands if you want. When do you do your quiet time? Do your quiet time in the morning? Maybe you do it in the morning. Maybe you do it in the evening. Afternoon. Middle of the night. I don't know what other options there are, but <clears throat> right? there's generally morning, there's afternoon, there's evening. Um, it, the way that I was taught to do quiet time was you, you pray, you confess your sins, you open the word, you ask God to speak, 
You read a text, you thank Him for that text, you meditate on how you can apply this particular text to your life. What can I do differently so that my life would reflect what this Scripture is teaching? And then you thank the Lord for His Word, for revealing truth to you. You close your Bible and you go on your way. And I think there's a fundamental flaw with that approach. And it almost gives us the impression that God gets to speak once a day. And I want to make sure that we don't have that mindset. Because God gets to speak whenever God wants to speak. Uh, And I have found in my life that messages come in at times when I was absolutely not expecting. uh, And certainly not during my scheduled quiet time. Uh, It was far more... Uh, Erratic is the wrong word, but I don't know. I don't see his master schedule, so from my perspective, it looks erratic. Uh, So again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So I I thank God that Haggai didn't shut down after revelation was given to him the first time of that day. I thank God that he kept listening. So he says, speak. This is an imperative to Zerubbabel. So if you remember, Zerubbabel, here's your blank, is the civil leader, C-I-V-I-L, the civil leader. His name means descended from Babylon. He was likely born in Babylon during that captivity period, and he led his people back to the Holy Land. Now, Zerubbabel is a really, really interesting guy. We will look at him a little bit more as we go through. But every time we have seen seen Zerubbabel's name so far in Haggai, who is he always paired up with? He's always paired up with Joshua, right? So his, his daddy's name is mentioned, Shealtiel. And then Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, right? You've heard me say it 46 times at this point. We ought to be at least in the ballpark, right? So Zerubbabel and Joshua go hand in hand. Where is Joshua? His open book. He's not there, right? This message is not for Joshua. This message is for Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel is the kingly side of the leadership of Israel at this side. So Joshua is the high priest. He's the religious side. Zerubbabel is the civil or, uh, if you think about the governmental uh, role here. So this message is for king-ish character. Now, he's governor of Judah. He's not the king. Could he have been the king? Yeah, they were under captivity, right? So there was already a king, and Darius didn't want any competition. Darius was the king of the Persians, and he wanted to be king. He didn't want any other kings. So now there's a problem with uh, Jehoiakim, and we'll talk maybe a little bit about him tonight. Probably won't have time to get into him today, uh, this morning. But, Josh, but uh, Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah, so he is an appointed civil leader. And this is what Haggai says to him. I will shake. Anybody have a different word in your translation than shake? Overthrow. Say it again. Overthrow, good, yep. I will shake. It means to undulate. It means an earthquake. I'm going to shake heaven and earth. Now, we get the earth part, right? Because we can relate to shaking the earth. We have either been in an earthquake, or you have seen an earthquake, or you have heard about an earthquake, or you've seen television about an earthquake. But shaking the heaven, that's a new one for me. Don't recall seeing that on the news the heavens shook over this area. So I don't know what that looks like, but I'm going to guess it's bad. Right? The sky shakes. If you want something just to meditate on later today, just try to wrap your head around that one. I've been thinking about this for about three months now. No clue still what it means. So we'll keep going. 
Verse 22, I will overthrow or overturn or tumble the throne or the, the, the throne, the, the covered seated stool of the kingdoms. Now, where were they right now? What city were they in when Haggai was delivering this message? They're in Jerusalem. And who was the world leader at this time? Who were the world leaders at this time? What, what empire? The Persians were the world empire. So when Haggai says, I will overthrow kingdoms, who is Haggai, if Haggai is paying attention to any... Like if Haggai even got a D- minus in current world history at that time, who would he be thinking about? He'd be thinking about the Persians, right? Absolutely. All right. So is that what he's talking about? I think I have a question in your notes there. Did Haggai believe this prophecy would be fulfilled immediately? Look at your text. What did Haggai think? What do you think? Does the text say? We don't know. We're not really sure. Now, do the Persians eventually get overthrown? Yes. How do we know this? Because we don't speak Persian. Right? The Persians are not the world rulers at this point in history, right? So eventually at some point they got overthrown. Does anybody know who they got overthrown by? Yeah? Yeah, Alexander, right? The Greeks. And who did the Greeks get overthrown by? Yep, Rome, right? And the Romans got overthrown by themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, when, when, you, when you... Yeah, God used the Huns, right? To come along and just chip away and chip away and chip away until the whole thing crumbled from the inside. And what about the Huns? Who did they get overthrown by? Themselves. Themselves, yeah. What happens to world powers? They fizzle, right? John Piper has this beautiful quote. And he says, all the presidents of the history of the world will be but footnotes in the reign of Jesus. I mean, right? I mean, this, this, let's make sure we have the big macro perspective when we come to the text. So the blank here for you is mountaintops. I don't know if he knew it. I don't know if he didn't know it. I know that God has this incredible ability to use the language that he created to have these waves of fulfillment that make it true. And I, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine how complex this would be to try for a man to try to figure this out. But God just, boom, and away it goes. Now, if you want to put a, a note in your uh, notes there somewhere about Revelation 16, where kings of the earth are overthrown and the cities of the nations are, are going to fall, there's all kinds of talk about there in Revelation 16. So most Bible scholars believe that this last mountain is Revelation 16. So this first one was probably Persia, because it wasn't too much longer after they came back from Babylon that Persia falls. But that last one is probably Revelation 16, unless there's more to the story that God just hadn't told us about. And I'm going to leave room for that too. Because <laughs> I'm not going to try to stand up here and be as arrogant to say is that God has told us everything that's ever going to happen in the future history of the world. I don't think we could take it. Right? So just we'll, we'll leave space for that, right? We'll leave space for that. So he says, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy. So your blank there is desolate. This is not a... Um, is there stuff in this cup? All right. There's soda in that cup right there. So if I was to tip over that cup onto your iPad, is that an iPad? Yeah. Would you be happy? No, you wouldn't be happy. And it would probably like mess it up, right? Most likely. It'd most likely mess it up. 
it most likely wouldn't destroy it like the Hebrew word here. Because the Hebrew word here is to desolate. It is to take and to go out and to find a, a mill and to grind it down into the smallest little pieces and it is dust so that it can just be blown away. It is utterly destroyed. There is nothing left of this. Zilch nada, right? You can put the, the null set, right? Okay? So, so when we say, when we think about empires get toppled or tipped over, this is, this is a whole other level. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. Was Persia a Jewish kingdom or a Gentile kingdom? Gentile kingdom, absolutely. So what do you think Haggai's ears are thinking? Help is on the way. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots. Now, if you want a modern... So what's the... I need some military help, okay? What is the baddest military vehicle on the planet right now? Abram's tank. It's a what? It's an Abram's tank. Abram's tank. All right. If you want to replace chariots with Abram's tank. I don't even know what an Abram's tank is. It sounds bad, though, right? Okay. Don't get in its way, because if I'm going to guess, if I got in its way, then I'm going to be a greasy spot on the road, right? Okay, all right. Uh, chariots of the day. You may know how chariots worked back then. Yeah, you got horses. Uh, sometimes one, sometimes two or three. The more horses you had, the faster it would go. The more dangerous, it, literally more horsepower, right? Thank you. I appreciate that. that was, <laughs> we played t-ball right there, didn't we? I just teed it up and you just clinked it right out. That was awesome. Uh, that is the first time I've ever thought about that. So now I'm going to get distracted with that. So. <laughs> it is literally more horsepower, isn't it? Thank you. All right, good. How's a chariot work? So uh, chariots gave the rider of a chariot an elevated position on a battlefield. So not a lot, but a foot or two up from everybody else. And when you have the high ground on the battlefield, you have an advantage. Things go well for you because you can see you have a better perspective. So you've got archers on the chariot. You've got uh, slingers on the chariot. You've got all sorts of guys with swords and whatnot on the chariot that can attack from a higher position. The other thing is that they figured out pretty quickly that if you attached things to the wheels of the chariot and stuck out, that these things could spin at a very fast rate as they cut down the battlefield. And when I say cut down, I literally mean cut down. So like the worst parts of... Oh, wow, I'm losing it. What's my movie? Help me. Braveheart. Thank you. The worst parts of Braveheart? The worst parts of... There was another movie, too, The Romans. Gladiator. That was where I was actually at, but you helped me with Braveheart. Either one. Pick either one. The battlefield scenes, that's what we're talking about. So they go flying through the field, and if you don't have chariots, you don't get on the battlefield because you don't want to mess with these things. Right? And your sole purpose is to try to destroy these things. Because if you don't, this is going to be very, very bad for you. So I will overthrow the Abrams tanks. These are the baddest military vehicles of the day. And those who ride in them. Now, if you ride in a chariot, what do you feel about a battle? You're the guy in the chariot. Good? Bad? I'm feeling better, right? This is literally Psalm 27. Psalm 20, verse 7. And it's highlighted, so let's go there. Twenty, verse 7. Twenty, colon, seven. Here we go. Who knew that grammar would help us, right? 
You got it, Miss Amy? Okay. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember in the, in the name of the Lord our God. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Um, I got to wonder if they were thinking about this. <clears throat> because you can put your faith in whoever the world power is of the day. But just remember, God is going to set it aside because no one is ultimately going to compete with the kingdom of Jesus. It's going to happen. So if, if we drew this today, who is right here? America's right here, right? I mean, that's, that's where we are. And God is going to set America aside one day for Jesus Christ to rule on the earth, right? So let's be very careful uh, the way that we speak about something that is not forever. Waves of implementation and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down or fall. Everyone by the sword of his brother. Now, did this say that the Israelis that Haggai is speaking to are going to physically overpower the Persians? What does it say? Infighting. Which I think is one of these waves of fulfillment because when we talked about the Romans, we talked about the Greek, we talked about these different... They imploded from within. Now, God used other forces to chip away at the edges, but to me it reminds me of Judges 7 and Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon? Where they broke the lamps and they shouted the sword of the Lord in Gideon. And what happened to the army that they were encamped around? They started fighting each other. They woke them up in the middle of the night and it scared them to death and they started stabbing and killing each other. Israel just sat back and watched as literally God fought and won the battle for them. Which, okay. Most of you have probably figured out I am not uh, skilled in the military uh, warish ways, right? If I were, I'd have better words to describe it than that, right? But um, yeah. you're going to make that into a, a meme on Facebook, aren't you? That's it? <laughs> you might? Okay, all right. Um, yeah, so God is saying these Gentile kingdoms, I'm going to bring down, and I'm going to do it uh, not necessarily even with your help. He's going to do it what? My way. Yeah, he's going to do it his way. Uh, you can assure, be assured of that. He's going to do it his way. So verse 23, in that day. So are we talking about, so those of you that know world history, are we talking about Zerubbabel's lifetime? We're not talking about Zerubbabel's lifetime. Because these things do not happen in Zerubbabel's lifetime. The children of Israel continue to be subject to the Persians for a while after this. Zerubbabel is dead and gone, but not forgotten. He continues to be one of the most important people, even in the New Testament. Um, we'll get to that in a second. It's really neat. Uh, but after this is done, well after his life is over, is what we're talking about now. So we know for a fact we're at least a couple mountains into this prophecy. So in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you. <coughs> Which is really kind of cool. Because if Haggai is talking directly to Zerubbabel, he says, Zerubbabel, God says, I will take you. And to me, it, it, it reminds me of somebody that's looking at a menu and says, I'll take some of this and I'll take some of this. I go out to eat with some of you sometimes. And one of my favorite places to go out to eat is uh, Ichiban. 
And Ichiban has a, like the regular menu, and then they have a sushi menu. And I've never eaten sushi. You can't pay me enough to eat sushi. I'm not interested in eating sushi. I don't care if it's cooked or not cooked. I can't get it through my head. It's not going to work, right? But some of you I've been out with, and you will pick, I'll take one of these, and I'll take one of these, and I'll take one of these. And they bring you all these really spectacularly disgusting-looking things. Now, they're very, they're very colorful, and they cost a lot of money, and I hope you enjoy them, and that's great. But it's just, it, when I read this, I think, I'll take one of this, I'll take this. And God says, I'll take you, Zerubbabel. And it's beautiful. He says, I'm going to use you. And, and the interesting thing about the way God uses Zerubbabel is he doesn't use him necessarily right then. He uses him right then, but he also uses him later on, too. So, Darla, when God says, I'll take Darla, he may be using you right now, but he may also be using the next generation. Because you know what Zerubbabel is famous for in the New Testament, right? Your Bible trivia. Who's the last person to be simultaneously listed in the genealogy of Joseph and of Mary? Zerubbabel. All those genealogies are actually really important. It's pretty cool stuff. He's the last one that's common to both. See, God, here's your blank, is an intensely personal God. He doesn't make bad choices. And I'm really glad he doesn't. He says, Zerubbabel, my servant. And whenever you see that phrase, Dr. Constable's got a great line here. The title, my servant, that's your blank, is often messianic in the Old Testament. I've given you several scriptures to go look up. But when you see that phrase, my servant, in a lot of your translations, it'll be capitalized because we're actually talking about Jesus later on. This is the Messiah that we are referencing later on. The son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring. And my guess is most of you don't have signet rings because they're for royalty, right? And if you are royalty and I didn't know it, then sorry, I'll try to bow next time, but um, I will make you like a signet ring. Here's your next couple blanks. The signet ring conferred upon its wearer the full authority and power of the giver. So if you were the king, you had one of these, and if you gave yours to somebody else, they had your power, and they had your authority, because they could stamp and sign documents in your name. Now, I worked for a company at one time where they gave me a signature stamp. So I went through this little process. I signed my name a bunch of times, found one that looked good, and they went and they made that into a stamp because I signed so many things. And, and I could just stamp, and there was my signature. I was like, that's awesome. It's really cool. And then I had the uh, secretary come in one day and ask if she could borrow it. And I said, well, sh- I don't know about that because that's my authority I'd be handing out. What are you going to use that for? Well, I just need to have it in my office in case something comes along that you need to sign. Mm, I'm going to say no, because I don't know about that. Not so sure, right? So you didn't get one of these handed out unless you were actually needing authority and power. So here's your next blank. Uh, As far as we know, Zerubbabel never exercised any real independent power. He served, however, to embody and keep alive the hope which gave permanence to power and power to Israel's ideals. So he was part of something that was a greater story, as all of Haggai really is. Again, he says here in this text, For I have chosen you. I picked you, Zerubbabel. And what was special about him was he was the last one to show up in both the line of Mary and Joseph. So the line of Mary was the blood lineage back to King David, and the line of Joseph was the 
uh, legal lineage back to David. So you have a blood heir and you have the legal authority coming together in one person, which is why he can be king rightly uh, because that's who he is. And it says, I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. So again, in case we were confused about uh, who the main character of Haggai is, it is not Haggai. It is the Lord of hosts because the Lord of hosts is taking all of these components and moving them in a way that gives his people hope in this period of hopelessness. Uh, Micah Fries is the new pastor out at Brainerd Baptist. And uh, he wrote a commentary on Haggai. <clears throat> Actually bought the whole book. It's Haggai, Zephaniah, uh, Malachi, and another book. Not sure which one. Probably the one that's in between those other books. Uh, and he wrote the Haggai commentary. And I was really excited about this until I opened it up and it was like 16 pages long. Because there's only so much you can say about Haggai, right? I mean, it's just, it's there. And uh, he has this beautiful quote at the end of the story. He says, The miserable has been made majestic. Because they had just come out of all of this captivity. And it was miserable. And it was awful. And they had no hope. And now they have a majestic hope that the Messiah is going to come. God has not given up. He has not ended what He has promised to do. So what's the application? So God speaks more than once a day. So listen all day. I have in my notes not just during quiet time. This is a good smack to the head for me. Uh, Number two, God is comfortable overturning the world for His purposes. And he will continue to do it. So love the kingdom that will never be shaken or overthrown. Uh, Jesus, number three, Jesus is our king and he is coming back. So live like Jesus is our king and look for his return. And number four, God is personal. So know him personally. Now at the bottom of your notes there you see uh, what is Haggai about. And I didn't realize it at the time when I put this little list of four things together. Uh, But Haggai is about four prophecies, and we still need to hear God speak. Uh, Haggai is about prioritization, and we still need to put him first. Haggai is about cheerleading, and we still need his servants cheering us on. And Haggai is about a future hope, and we still need to know Jesus is coming to fix it all. I think this is an intensely relevant book. Um, So your homework is to read Haggai one more time. And then to answer this question, what would you title this series? I did something with this book that I rarely, rarely do, and that's I didn't put a title on it other than just the name of the book because I didn't know what it was really about. I needed to read it a couple hundred times before I really felt like what was going on here. So I didn't know, but if I had to name it right now, here's what I would name it. Haggai. Still relevant, so don't ignore the little books of the Old Testament because God is still speaking to us through them. That's what I would name it. Because that's what your Sunday school teacher learned from going through Haggai. So not sure what you learned, but that's what I learned. Uh, So once again, I will apologize for ignoring vast portions of the Old Testament in my teaching over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, And we will try to do better as we go forward. So um, next two weeks, George Jackson will be here talking about uh, Philemon, which if you've never heard anybody teach through Philemon, it's a fantastic book. Uh, strongly encourage you to be here for that. And then at the center of your tables is a weekly update. So if you've got any prayer requests, uh, please share those on that list. Pray as a table. Uh, when you are done, you are dis- after you pray, you are dismissed. And if you want to know more about probably the 30 or 40% of stuff that I skipped today in this lesson, then I'll be teaching this again tonight at the Saudi Daisy campus at 5 o'clock. So thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys.